studio of KPSU Portland, and in association with the Department of History at Portland State University, this is Beyond Footnotes. Join us as we explore public, local, and world history through discussions with professors, authors, fellow students, and alumni, as well as local historians. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Lily. And I'm Madeline. Portland is a city whose relationship to trees is deeply rooted. Its reputation as a tree-filled city branches out to include its nicknames like Stumptown and its soccer team, Timbers. That Portland's identity is so bound to its sylvan past makes the history of Portland's trees a unique starting point in better understanding urban identity and collective memory. Today on Beyond Footnotes, we're talking about a project that seeks to do just that by combining public history, environmental science, urban studies, and crowdsourcing. Today we're interviewing Dr. Vivek Shandas, Professor of Urban Studies and Planning here at Portland State University. Welcome, Dr. Shandas. Hi, how are you? I'm nice to be here, thanks. Great, yeah, thanks for thank joining you. us. Um, to start, would you like to tell us a bit about your background and your role at PSU? Sure, um, so I'm a Professor of Urban Studies and Planning and the Research Director for our Institute for Sustainable Solutions. Um, and I came to PSU mainly because I was involved in a lot of work related to environmental planning. And so that field looks at the role of urban development and it's uh, the way cities develop and the implications of those development patterns on air quality, water quality, soils, human health and well-being, as well as ecosystem health and well-being. Um, and I teach courses in um, environmental planning, in public participation, um, public participation GIS, another way of calling that is geographic information systems or participatory mapping, and also um, teaching a course on climate adaptation planning coming up this spring, which I'm very excited about. Awesome. Uh, so today we'd really like to talk with you specifically about the Canopy Story Project, which is something I got involved with in Dr. McNair's uh, Heritage Street course to the History Department. Tell us a little bit about the project and how it got started and some of the technology. Sure. Um, so the project is really started um, because we have been working with trees in the city for a long time. We wanted to know kind of what makes these landscapes in Portland and Seattle and numerous other cities, what makes these landscapes um, more amenable and less amenable to human habitation, to uh, ecosystem well-being, and to my more recent interest, uh, climate resilience. And um, we were lucky enough to kind of think about the human side of these things, not just kind of the uh, landscape or science side of things. And we wanted to know, how do we bring the human story to these landscapes? Um, we have a long history of modifying, changing, um, uh, destroying our landscapes. And what we want to know is how do we use the features on the landscape to tell these stories? And trees, since we'd been working with them for a long time, really came about as one of the primary um, features of the landscape that we wanted to dig a little bit deeper into. So fortunately for us, right as these ideas were emerging, we had the city of Portland, our regional metropolitan government, as well as numerous other municipalities in the region put a uh, little bit of money into um, a pool of money that ended up allowing us to fly an airplane over Portland, which doesn't sound special in and of itself, but what was on this airplane was really special in the sense that it has these essentially um, laser beams that it shoots down to the ground and bounces back up. Don't worry, they won't hurt any people. <laughs> it, and so it shoots down 400,000 of these per second, and so you get a lot of 
detail in terms of where the sidewalks are, where the buildings are, where the trees are. And most cities do this because they want to know how much square footage is there in a building and how can we tax the building owners based on the size of those buildings because sometimes the actual square footage or area of the building isn't uh, accurate and so there might be some tax revenues that might not be coming into the city so the city put all this money in knowing that there was likely going to be a return on investment and so we didn't go that route though we took these data and actually turned them on its head turned these data on their head by saying how can we use these data to actually uh, tell a story about the city through the trees in the city and with this data set we basically were able to identify everything that was living and not moving and um, we called those trees and we are since this is so many laser pulses per second we're able to actually determine how high and how much kind of biomass, if you will, how much leaf area there is in each of these trees. And we're really able to describe these trees in a tremendous amount of detail that we haven't been able to before. So the projects, uh, the Canopy Story project, really started off by looking at this data set of uh, very high-resolution data set of trees in the city and asking the question of, hmm, wouldn't it be interesting if we were to create a website that would allow individuals to identify trees that they could uh, that they could tell a story about and it was a pretty naive and admittedly kind of um, esoteric idea when we started it uh, a couple of years ago and where we've gone with it now is it's a it's it's a full-fledged website canopystory.org that um, allows anyone to identify a tree that's 50 feet or taller if we had any tr if we put in trees that were shorter than that it would be a big messy uh, map and so this is an online digital map that you can identify an individual tree perhaps in your neighborhood or a place that you're familiar and write a little meaningful story about that tree and it was our attempt to try to bring the human side um, of the city and human side of these trees to to light <coughs> so that's a little overview at least of the technology and what what kind of was the beginning of this project great and how has it been received so far have you gotten I know that Right when it first went live, I put quite a few stories on there. Have you gotten more? Yeah, so we've been getting, um, they've been consistent. It hasn't been kind of a deluge of stories all at once. We've got a whole bunch when it first went up, a whole bunch meaning a couple dozen. And then what we've started seeing is they've been consistently coming in. Uh, we've had one just put up yesterday, I think. Um, and a couple of, and a few days ago and last week and the week before. And so we've had a few every week and they've been trickling in and what's, amazing to me is it's being received remarkably well um, for us right now the biggest challenge has been translating people's enthusiasm and uh, and ideas about the trees that they know something about into a narrative that they can actually put on a website mm -hmm. that's been so far the thing we've noticed might be the hardest for people to kind of make that leap into telling a story on a public website right um, I guess going off of that or making the leap between somebody's fun personal story and act more usable data what is the like ultimate goal of getting all of these stories aside from just having a collection of I mean as somebody who loves oral history and public history I love to hear people's stories but from a urban studies or urban planning or urban sustainability standpoint what is the benefit of having first-hand personal accounts yeah, um, so the way we've, I guess the way we've thought about it are really kind of threefold. The first might be 
Um, right when the site was being developed, there was a big controversy over the three giant sequoias that were in East Moreland, mm -hmm. and the idea that you know, a developer had purchased a particular lot on Martin Street, and they were ready to take down these 100-plus-year-old um, trees, and they were a really important feature for this neighborhood and this landscape. And the citizens came out in crowds to basically try to save these trees, though the way our legal system is set up, if a developer owns that property, they can do what they want to that property. And um, the way the tree code in the city is set up, you pay a nominal fee to basically take down these trees. And so part of what I watched unfold was this tension between um, a group of uh, tree conservationists and advocates and developers. And that turned into, uh, you know, police showed up. There was a big um, kind of a public health and safety issue. And it turned into kind of an acrimonious situation for the community as a whole and f um, for the community's benefits uh, 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 wealthy person came in to be able to buy the lot back and it's now a small park in the neighborhood and the developer kind of sold it and didn't take down those trees and watching that unfold occurred to me that there's a real role for advocacy here or even conservation to a certain extent and what we're talking about is trying to document stories about trees uh, would potentially like a old building that you have a um, or a, a historic landmark of some kind there is a uh, story about this, these trees that are meaningful to the community that we can actually make public and that if somebody were to change that tree in any way, it would actually become very obvious that there's all, this, um, all these stories associated to that tree. So there's that piece around conservation and advocacy. Another side is that we're trying to bring light to something that is largely a passing uh, feature of the urban landscape. We often tend to you know, memorialize buildings or bridges or um, or breweries, um, though to really think about um, what are these kind of quiet and um, um, quiet and significant contributors to our urban life. And these trees really offer so many benefits, not only to the cultural history of the city, they also offer so many benefits to the environmental and health and well-being of citizens so, or, or communities. Um, so we wanted to really kind of um, memorialize these often forgotten features of the landscape. And I think finally we really wanted to kind of uh, recognize that there is a real disparity. Um, it's kind of an equity question of there's a real disparity of where the large trees are in the city and who is who are the haves and the have-nots in the city. And one of the things we wanted to do is through the Canopy Story site see if the stories being told are those that are in wealthier neighborhoods or neighborhoods that have a lot of resources and have been largely served by the city while those that have been underserved by the city would people be quite as uh, vocal or quite as engaged with the site um, so we're already starting to see that play out in some ways on the site and i'm hoping that by getting the word out and by learning a bit more about communities perspectives of trees good or bad we can start to um, address these historic inequities of, of city distribution of resources. Mm, that's great. I love that. Okay, so you're a uh, non-historian who's been working with public history is an essential part of this project. Do you have any thoughts or observation on what it's like to work on such an interdisciplinary project? 
<clears throat> yeah, where to begin on this? <laughs> um, I've been in my career very prospective, kind of thinking about, you know, what if that tree comes down? What can mm. we do to put stories down about that tree? Um, to be to be kind of a little bit more historical or retrospective, um, I've been learning a lot about how these trees have um, a tremendous kind of uh, story about the communities that they're embedded in. Um, I've heard stories about um, trees that have bullet holes in them through a kind of a, 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 a altercation or, or a conflict that happened. I've heard, and, and the tree is kind of bears witness to these, to these stories and to these uh, interactions. I've heard stories about trees that were planted by a great, great uh, grandparent that was nurtured and how that family still lives in that same location. And kind of really the trees are uh, working in this interdisciplinary context. I've learned a lot about the community I live in and things that I have been studying from a kind of a tree or an environmental point of view have an enormous depth in the kind of community, um, community perceptions of what makes a community great and what makes a community um, um, problematic and what history there has been in a community. So the interdisciplinary interactions with uh, Dr. McNoor, as well as a number of other uh, folks like um, uh, David Hedberg um, and and you and, and and Madeline here and others, I've been learning so much about kind of what are um, what are, what is the human and the um, kind of community perspective of a neighborhood that the tree could help be a means for trying to understand and. Um, of course, it's not easy. We speak different languages, and we have different uh, ultimate goals, maybe, of the project. But part of this whole thing is really to kind of tell stories about our different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I, I can give sort of a, a historian perspective of the same thing that you're saying, right. is that when I went into it specifically for Dr. McNair's Heritage Tree course, we were looking at the inequity of where... Um, heritage trees are located throughout the city, which are trees that are designated of historical significance by Metro. Mm -hmm. And understanding the sort of geographical and spatial socioeconomic issues that go into where these trees are located, I mean, that requires an urban studies perspective. And then when somebody is looking at um, the biomass of a tree or if it's a specific species that is really unique, like a madrone or something, I mean, that really benefits from an environmental perspective. And I think the best part about this project and the whole Canopy Story project in general is that you can go onto this website and see people telling historical stories or personal histories or having people point out this tree is really cool because of, and they list all these sorts mm -hmm. of biology facts that I don't know about or anything. And it's, it's a really great way of getting all these different disciplines together without even really feeling like you are. It doesn't feel forced or that you're having to learn all this new vocabulary. It, it lends itself really nicely to interdisciplinary work. I couldn't agree more. I mean, digital, digital technology combined with history, combined with environmental science, combined with urban planning, urban studies. Yeah. yeah. And without all of those things, I think you miss a really big part of the story because yeah. trees have s historical significance because they have environmental significance and economic significance. And if you don't look at all of those, you you have big gaps in the history, right. which as historians, yeah, we don't sure. want. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me see. 
So I guess going off of that about history and the humanities in terms of urban sustainability, are there any other potential projects or ways that we could combine fields, our combined forces could save the urban environment? Oh, so many, so many. I mean, it, you know, the, this is a very similar discussion I'm having with numerous colleagues about this issue of climate change, uh, planetary climate change and destabilization. And part of the history of the field of climate change has been largely a scientifically driven agenda mm -hmm. about monitoring parts per million and trying to calibrate models and trying to evaluate the uh, likelihood and the probabilities of st stochastic processes and really pretty technically heavy stuff. And um, I, I've learned that the while the science is essential, that the field is really not going, the, the, the impacts of climate change is not really going to have any effect unless we bring people into these conversations. And I think what humanities, in my mind, has been really effective at doing is making this into a directly a human uh, enterprise and 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 humans being this organism of study, if you will, mm -hmm. and in that sense, what I've been learning is just around um, urban sustainability that the storytelling part of it has been just tremendously eye-opening. Um, we tell stories, though they're often based in data and often based in these kind of statistical analyses, at least where I've been trained, and the watching and li reading these stories of people who have been very articulately and thoughtfully putting stories up on the Canopy Story site, I really takes pause. I really take pause in the sense that what we're doing with this science that we've done, that we've created um, through these lidar, uh, laser um, processes, and lots of geographic information systems of mapping, is we've actually enabled a platform for storytelling, and it provides this foundation for people to then say, hey, that's my neighborhood. Hey, that's my house. Hey, that's a street. That's a tree down in the street for me that I walk by when I walk my dog in the morning. And I really love it because it's got squirrels that my uh, dog loves to chase. And it's just a morning meaningful thing for me. And it can really simple stories like that or profound stories like um, somebody sleeping under the tree without a home and how the tree provided shelter for them. And these kinds of Sto uh, uh, platforms for storytelling, I feel like our culture has not done a, uh, a lot of um, development of. We tell stories just um, uh, with, you know, 130 characters or what have you. And so it, having a platform to actually begin a broader and a rich story that brings communities together through storytelling, I think, is really where humanities and urban sustainability for me come together. Um, ultimately, what we're trying to do, in my mind, is tell a story about our um, about our ability to kind of really get through this major transition of climate change. And if we tell the stories that are about our our ability to get through this big transition of climate destabilization, then I think we really will. Mm -hmm. So humanities have been really instrumental in my mind to be able to enable urban sustainability, let alone kind of be the foundation for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It's like um, so, do you have any uh, other future projects you're coming up with, or anything you'd want to do? Any dream projects? Hmm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just off the cuff, I'd love. Could, I couldn't imagine. Could you imagine a place where you know every building seems to have a story? Like I go to friends' right. houses who have uh, who've been there for a while, and they're like, you know, I was 
changing, I was doing something in my uh, uh, dining room and taking down a wall and redoing some design, and I found in this wall this amazing little letter marked 1910, mailed from Medford, Oregon, all the way to my home. And <coughs> this house has this history as a result. Oregon Historical Society has, you know, uh, uh, has reams of photos and stories about these buildings. And so could you imagine a world where we kind of told those stories about trees in our city mm -hmm. and about yeah. these things that are often forgotten or taken down and not really considered as an important uh, aspect of our life and our well-being in our community. And to think about uh, a world that actually has stories associated to um, not just the trees, but the creatures that also inhabit the cities with us and the water that's in and around our cities, the air that might be really um, uh, pure and beautiful or really degraded and dirty, um, the, cl uh, the temperature. I mean, w our storytelling of, of all these things that are part of our cities, we've often, I believe, forgotten. And so what I would love to do as a project coming up is really kind of engaging communities around these, these multiplicity of, of, of stories that have to do with things other than necessarily the built structures mm -hmm. in our cities and really starting to see cities as kind of living entities and um, regenerative, regenerative areas that um, would we could tell stories about um, in uh, in perpetuity you know as long as we're as long as we're living in cities um, a couple of pragmatic ways that could take place is I'd love tours of these uh, iconic trees in the city mm -hmm. small or large old or young uh, meaningful though um, I love to see ways in which when we have, you know, tourists coming to Portland, like this is the place where you take a bike if you want and if you can to go visit these trees or mm -hmm. take this streetcar to go visit these particular places that have a history that the trees would help tell about a community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, t off the top of my head, those are a few things that I think would be really interesting future projects. Mm -hmm. um, storytelling being, I think, at the core of most of them. Absolutely. Those all sound really fascinating. Yeah. So. I guess as a springboarding off of that to wrap up, mm -hmm. um, would you like to share a tree story? And Lily and I can do the same. I think there's enough time for that, but okay. any fun tree stories you have? Um, I have my own tree stories, but I'm going to draw one off of the uh, Canopy Story yeah, site. Um, there was a tree story I read very recently. I've been reading, keeping up with them. There's so many to choose from. There's one tree that the that the person called um, Tree 118, and it was a story put up, I think it was just last week, and the um, person talked about how this tree was uh, a very large Douglas fir and about how the tree had been there for at least, you know, 80, maybe 100 years. They didn't exactly know, and how Douglas firs are kind of messy trees. They, mm -hmm. when a wind blows, they drop their cones and their branches and things like that, and so uh, which is an evolutionarily, which is an, uh, as the as the um, storyteller documents, is an evolutionary aspect of the tree for seeding the tree, etc. And it was taken down recently, so 118 no longer exists. And this this airplane that flew over and and we were able to draw on these data are now getting dated because that was done mm -hmm. in 2014. And now in 2017, just three years later, many of the tree, p perhaps many of the trees, or some of the trees even, are no longer there. Mm -hmm. And so part of what the story reveals to me is that we're starting to create a ghost tree inventory mm -hmm. where we're actually starting to talk about 
the history, very recent in this case, very recent history of a tree that was taken down in June of 2017, as mm -hmm. the storyteller remarks. And um, that harkens back to a very recent history that then you can kind of take, go back to Stumptown mm -hmm. and see, you know, what were the trees on the property that I lived in? If we had this information going back to the 1800s, I believe we'd be able to actually identify potentially where the trees came from that built the homes that many of us live in. And so my home, for example, is 1910, and it likely has trees that are over 500 years old. So mm -hmm. my home in that sense is almost, say, five, 600 years old mm -hmm. at this point. Um, so I'd love to hear those kinds of stories um, being told more on the site. Um, and so the ghost, ghost story is really the one that comes up to me, the ghost story, the ghost tree story yeah. is the one I that like, comes I up. I like ghost story. Yeah, ghost yeah. story. We're, in, we're just past Halloween, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. Still works. Yeah. yeah, trees can be creepy. Yeah, like, they oh, can. can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks. I guess one of my favorite tree stories, especially from listeners from Portland State, is you all know the Copper Beach mm. in the library when they added the additions to the library, which is the the curved part of the library on the east east side of the building. Um, there was so much protest around not wanting to tear down that copper, copper beach, which had been there for, uh, it is now 100 years old. At that time, it was about 80, 80 years old. Um, so they actually, they told the architect, okay, you're going to build around that tree and you're not going to tear it down. And there was some... Some people claim, and if you take the um, admitted students tour or the info tour, they'll tell you that people actually chained themselves to the tree. I work in the um, university planning archive, and I we don't have any record of that. I do like to think that some um, students from PSU in the 70s, 80s, or 90s chained themselves to that tree, even even if it's not true. Uh, it's a good story that kind of speaks to the speaks to the nature of the student body here, but mm -hmm. if you ever wonder why the library is curved, it is because they did not want to tear down the Copper Beach. Interesting. I never I never knew that. Yeah. It's a great tree, too. Wow. Mm -hmm. The library throws a birthday party for it. Oh, They give you cake and everything. Yeah. Right. I have to remember that next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, this, is it too off the fly to ask if you have any tree stories, uh -huh. Lily? From think about it. I think the oldest tree I'm like familiar with oh. is there's one uh, well, it's not actually in the Fort Vancouver, but it's like in the general property. It's called the Old Apple Tree. I can't remember how old it is, but it's at least dating back to when the fort was in production. They had um, orchards. So it's like still there next to the Vancouver Land Bridge and has a little fenced area around it because you can't you know, go near it um, or pick apples or anything. But it's still there. It's very old, but we have a festival every year for it, which is kind of sweet. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know, like, the super detailed history about it, but I do know that despite its very uh, interesting its history, its apples actually taste really bad. So like when they have the apple <laughs> festival, they don't use any of the apples from the tree or even from its uh, offsprings in the orchard. They use imported apples, I guess, but mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They kept it around either way. Yeah, they're still like, you know, it's their last remnant of the original uh, Fort Orchard, so. Right. Yeah. Great. All right, well, for more information on the Canopy Story Project and to share your own stories, which we strongly encourage you to do, strongly, please visit canopystory.org or check out Canopy Story on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Shandas. This has been thank great. You. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, Beyond Footnotes is produced by students of the PSU Department of History and is recorded in the studio of KPSU. 
You can find information about this episode on our show page at kpsu.org slash beyondfootnotes and on soundcloud.com. We are always interested to know what you guys think about the show. Please feel free to contact the Beyond Footnotes team on Facebook, Twitter, or email at beyondfootnotes at gmail.com with any comments, suggestions, questions concerning the podcast. For previous episodes and extended content, check out kpsu.org slash beyondfootnotes or soundcloud.com. And don't forget to share. Tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes.